Exodus chapter 20. And uh, as we turn, uh, if you're visiting with us, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad to have you with us. And we're working through the Ten Commandments together. We've been walking through the book of Exodus, and now we've decided to slow down a little bit and look at each of the Ten Commandments. This morning we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 20. And uh, the seventh commandment, and in God's kind providence, um, this this morning in Sunday school, we'll also be talking about uh, some of these items and issues from First Corinthians chapter six. So, if you're able, I encourage you to stay for adult Sunday school, and uh, Ben can correct all the wrong things I say in my sermon. Okay, uh, Exodus chapter twenty. We'll read the first seventeen verses together. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but in the, on the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The Bible says of itself that the grass withers, the flower fades, that the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you and pray for your special grace and mercy to rest upon us as we think about purity, as we think about the seventh commandment. Would you guide and guard my words? Would you open our hearts to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and his gospel? Would you challenge, encourage, convict, strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. On June 10th of last year, a Stradivarius violin sold for 15.3 million dollars and apparently uh, instruments of this caliber of this pedigree of this provenance uh, they have names and this one was called the da vinci x Seidel. it was made in 1517 it was formerly owned by world-renowned violinist tasha Seidel. it was actually used on the wizard of oz soundtrack and this is obviously something that is precious 
and valuable. It's probably kept in a temperature and humidity controlled environment. Maybe it's kept under lock and key. People who who care for it probably use kit gloves. And uh, I couldn't find on the internet where who the owner is, but uh, what if the owner uh, picked it up from the auction house and got in the car, opened up the case, kind of chunked the violin in the back seat with uh, the gym bag and uh, her empty Starbucks cups. And what if uh, she brought it inside when she got home and put it on the counter and decided she wanted a bowl of cereal, so she starts to pour the cereal and the milk, and oh, oh, wow, just a little spill on the, on the Stradivarius. And then uh, her sister comes over for a visit, and her three-year-old nephew uh, sees, this is interesting, let me play with that. And so he starts to bang and pluck and drags the violin around the house. Okay, you get the point, right? We would all want to rush in and stop that madness, right? Why would someone use or allow something so valuable, so precious to be degraded and disregarded in such uh, such a way? It, It needs to be taken care of. It needs to be valued. And that's, that's one way, a small way to illustrate how our culture, how we many times, how the world in which we live often views and treats the idea of marriage and intimacy and purity and sexuality. God made us and He gives us very specific instructions about marriage, about marriage life one man and one woman in the context of marriage but we live in a sexually confused and charged and obsessed and distorted world and we're bombarded with messages and images which deny and ignore and abandon God's good plan in this world and on top of all that we have our own struggles personally and we have our own Uh, battle with lust and the flesh and the result is the devaluing and and uh, dehumanizing of other people so many times in this world we're like people who have Stradivarius violins who are using them to dig holes in the backyard and the seventh commandment is part of God's good plan and purpose for us So as we think about this together, I have to begin with some disclaimers. I can't talk about all the ins and outs of the seventh commandment this this morning. You know that, I know that, uh, I just need to say it. There are things that I might say in the sermon this morning that could be awkward. And um, for Christ's glory, the Bible talks about these things with clarity and dignity, and that's our goal as well this morning we have to talk about these things we have to talk about them because the bible uh, gives instructions we need to talk to about them together for the glory of christ we need to talk about them for the good of the church we need to talk about them for the reclamation of sinners and people who are trapped and deceived in sin we need to talk about these things with our children they are being bombarded with a narrative that is often directly opposed to the truth of Christianity and a biblical worldview and a biblical Christian sexual ethic. So parents, 
Get ready to talk to your kids. Listen. Don't. Uh, one of the one of the struggles that I've had over the years is to be frustrated about those conversations, and my kids didn't want to talk to me about their questions. So be available and listen and teach, and show God's word. I also have some resources as we begin. Um, one is a book by a guy I know. His name's John Parrott. It's called Not If, But When, uh, Preparing Our Children for Worldly Images. I have about five or six copies of this in my office. If you're interested, come see me, Not If, But When. There's also a, a book by Marty Makowski uh, called God Made Boys and Girls, really good, uh, helpful little book. Um, there's also a good resource uh, put out by the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. Two years ago it was published. It's called the Ad Interim uh, Report on Human Sexuality. I can send you a, a copy of that. We've looked at it together in Sunday school. That's a really good resource, a gift to the church, very helpful. There's also a book my wife and I recently read called Gospel-Shaped Marriage by Chad and Emily Van Dixhorn, Grace for Sinners to Live Like Saints. We also, if you have uh, struggles in your marriage where it's like we're at an impasse, we don't know what to do, we also have counseling uh, references and resources to share with you. So, those are some of the disclaimers. I didn't say it really fast like they do on the radio, but uh, those are some of the things as we begin. Disclaimers and resources. This week we're going to look at the seventh commandment the same way we did the sixth commandment. We're going to use that same uh, grid, that same outline. We're going to think about uh, matriculating through your college courses. We're going to begin with seventh commandment 101, those first year classes that you might take. And uh, we're going to ask some basic questions. The first question is this, what is adultery? In the strictest sense, it's breaking the marriage covenant with another person. But as you might imagine, the principles and implications of the seventh commandment are much deeper and broader than that. And the rest of the Bible helps give us a fuller picture, a better explanation of God's plan for intimacy, a biblically informed Christian sexual ethic. Uh, but what about chapter 2 in uh, Seventh Commandment 101? The questions that start to arise. What about this? What about that? What about inappropriate physical contact before marriage? Is that adultery? What about pornography? Is that adultery? What about inappropriate messages with someone? What about homosexuality or questions about LGBTQ issues or transgenderism? Does the Seventh Commandment speak to those things? What about people who have been hurt or used or abused by someone else whose scars run deep? Is healing possible? What does the seventh commandment teach us about divorce and remarriage and betrayal? What does it teach us about human trafficking and modern day slavery? What about lust? What about thoughts in our minds? Does the seventh commandment impact the way that we think in my heart? Some of those are really complicated issues, Pastor. Life is complicated, and sometimes it's uncomfortable. But God loves us so much that He speaks into the details and sinful brokenness of our lives. And He addresses how we use our bodies and our minds, and He does so with compassion and clarity. The order matters. You've heard me say this before. 
Do not commit adultery is a good thing for all people in this world. It's good that people are faithful to their spouses. But for Christians, the stakes go up. We know there's something different. How we think and how we use our bodies matter because of Jesus Christ, because He laid down His life for our sins. We've been redeemed by His precious blood on the cross. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about it like this. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price Therefore, what? Honor God with your body. God loves us. He cares for us. And the order matters. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So if you're in Christ this morning, if you're redeemed, beloved, accepted, forgiven, sexual immorality is not in line with the gospel. It doesn't add up. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of our lives. He's Lord of our time. He's Lord of our worship. And He is Lord as well of our bodies. We also need to think in in 7th Commandment 101 about the image of God. You remember last week when we talked about uh, the, the sixth commandment and murder, how murder is wrong because it's an attack against the image of God. God says that in the first few chapters of the Bible. That same principle is true for the seventh commandment as well. Those who go against God's plan for intimacy, it's actually an affront on the image of God in mankind. And we read more about this in Romans chapter 1. You remember this section. It talks about the downward spiral of sin, which is actually God's judgment on mankind. God gives them over. If this is what you want, okay, here you go. He gives them over to their sinful desires. And remember what Romans 1 says they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And when we exchange God's truth for a lie, for idolatry, one of the things that that can include is sexual degradation. Giving up the God-ordained guardrails that He's put in place for mankind. And it says it in Romans 1. Men lusting after men. Women lusting after women. God made us male, female, and He's given us freedom to enjoy sexuality in the context of marriage. And when we sin sexually, it's an attack and it's a front against the image of God. The last part of this first point is uh, just the word sexual immorality. It's a word that's used throughout the New Testament in particular. The Greek word is porneia probably sounds familiar to you. It's a general word that means sexual sin. And it helps teach us, it helps remind us that the seventh commandment applies not only to married people, it applies to single people, it applies to widowed people, it applies to divorced people. It's a call to sexual purity at every age and stage of our lives. And that's an important baseline to remember. And we don't need to go into all the details about what this looks like. We know what sin is. We know what's right and wrong. One place that gives us a glimpse, an application of this, is Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13.4 says this, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. The seventh commandment matters Those are some of the basics. But let's move on. Let's matriculate up to uh, intermediate. Uh, Course numbers 210 and 211. What does it look like as we think deeper about the seventh commandment? Well, 
Last week we reminded that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus connects the dots between murder and anger, right? You remember that? He does the same exact thing in the Sermon on the Mount about adultery and lust. They're in the same family of sins. This is part of the beautiful thing about Christianity. God is not only interested in our external actions, He's also interested in our hearts. And so He lovingly identifies sin so that we can pursue wholeness and freedom from the inside out. So, what's the danger of lust? Maybe you've thought, maybe you've heard other people say, uh, what's the big deal? Just a few thoughts. Window shopping. Just some pictures on my phone. I'm not hurting anybody. It doesn't impact me or anyone else. Um, I beg to differ. Here are some of the things that lust can do in us. In God's good plan, uh, He has designed intimacy to flow out of, to flow from, to follow commitment the commitment of marriage between one man and one woman and it's a promise and it's a covenant that makes intimacy meaningful so lust brings distance it brings separation this is one of the reasons that adam and eve were in the garden and it says they were naked and unashamed When we pursue physical intimacy without the marriage covenant, outside the marriage covenant, the result is insecurity and fear and distance and mistrust. Another thing that lust can lead to is slavery. This is the natural progression of sin. If we give in to images and if we let lust run rampant in our lives, run wild, unless we repent, unless we turn, what's going to happen? It's going to grow. And we, we think it's freedom. We think, I'm doing exactly what I want to do, but what happens? It's never enough. And some of you have felt, maybe you feel that, that enslavement to sin this morning. We're going to talk about a way out. Another problem with lust is that it's filled with lies. Sexual sin makes all sorts of promises. Satisfaction, happiness, fulfillment, security, intimacy, power. Why wait? We're in love. No one's going to know. Those are lies. Married folks, when you're tempted to flirt with someone, you're playing with fire, as Kurt alluded to. This person really gets me. They're lies. It's not worth it. If you've ever been, if you're ever, if you're ever out to sea and your ship sinks and you're in the lifeboat and you're waiting to be rescued, you know one of the number one rules Do not drink ocean water. No matter how thirsty you are, don't drink the water. You think it will help. It won't. You will be dehydrated faster. You will lose your mind. Lust delivers a bunch of lies. Says, oh, you'll be satisfied. You'll be happy. Here are all the promises. It's fool's gold. It's a lie. Galatians 6 
Verses 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What are you sowing in your life? What are you watering in your life? The flesh or the Spirit? Sin or repentance? Well, there are solutions to to lust some of god's solutions first of all is simply this the gospel of jesus christ the gospel we have all in some way or another in our thoughts or our actions broken the seventh commandment there's a way for things to be taken away and it's not by burying them or ignoring them or giving in to them god's solution for our lust begins and continues through the shed blood of jesus christ He died on the cross to cleanse us from our sins. If you feel weighed down with guilt and shame, if you feel trapped and controlled by sinful images or sinful desires, there is a way out. It's through Jesus and His grace and His gospel. Well, you don't know me, Pastor. You don't know the damage that I've done. You don't know uh, what I've been through. You don't know my story. I'll never really be accepted and forgiven. I'm damaged goods. Those are lies. God's grace is greater than all of our sins. God's grace is greater than all of our sexual sins. And we run to Him, He will accept us with open arms. It doesn't mean everything will necessarily be wrapped up with a pretty bow, but there can be consequences and hope and healing as we move forward with the gospel of Jesus. Another solution for lust, as we think about the seventh commandment, is amputation. Amputation. I have a friend uh, a few years ago was in a terrible mountain biking accident. He broke his leg very badly. It got infected. They had to amputate his leg for him to live. And remember what Jesus said. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. The message is not physical dismembership, but to take sin seriously. We can't play around with it. It will destroy us. And what are some of the things that this can mean? Set a guard. Watch out. Keep your eyes up. Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. What guards are you setting in your life to protect yourself from sin? Have a battle buddy. We need help in the struggle with sin. We need other people in our lives. Where does sin thrive? It's sin, it thrives in, in isolation by ourselves. We need to go to war. We need to go to war with lust because of God's great love for us. Mortify, kill, put to death, root out, dig up, destroy, fight, battle against the flesh because you're loved by God. God's way is the best way. Run for your lives. The Bible literally says flee sexual immorality. Remember the story of Joseph, Potiphar's wife kept trying to seduce him and he ended up running away for his life. Don't play with fire. We read it from Proverbs 5. It talks about sexual sin in this way. Can a man put hot coals in his lap and not be burned? How are you leaning into and embracing God's solutions to lust in our lives? Another solution is marriage. You know, The seventh commandment is about marriage. Marriage is God's good gift from God. 
And he says from the beginning, it's not good for man to be alone. Marriage is invented by God and blessed by God. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. And God provided intimacy there alongside love and encouragement and compassion and commitment. And this is going to sound simplistic, but one of the greatest ways to guard against lust and sexual sin and to protect our marriages and, and fight against idolatry, adultery, excuse me, is by living and loving your spouse. Living with and loving your spouse and serving your spouse and communicating with your spouse day in and day out. And again, if there are problems where it feels like uh, we don't know how to move forward, reach out, ask for help. As we think about the blessing of marriage as part of God's solution, we need to remember also singleness. Think about it. All of us live probably a third of our lives at least single. Single before we get married, single after our spouse passes away, single if we're divorced. And so we need to think together about how to love and live with single people in the life of the church. How to support them as sisters and brothers. Another important thing to remember is 1 Corinthians 7.39. We all know that. No, we don't. Uh, it's, it's a message to single widows and widowers. Marry anyone you want, only in the Lord. Marry anyone you want, only in the Lord. Christians marry Christians. Young people, this is the single most important factor in finding and choosing and determining a spouse. Do they love the Lord? Do they love Christ's church? This is critical. This is the most important thing. So that's intermediate. What about your capstone class? What about your senior seminar when we think about the seventh commandment? Well, here's how I want to conclude. As we think about the seventh commandment, we think about life in Christ. Whether you're a young person, a teenager in your 20s, whether you're married or single or divorced or widowed, I hope you can see that marriage is a great gift. It's something that should be held in honor among all. But here's the reality. There is no one person in this world, even your spouse, even the love of your life, even the man or the woman of your dreams who can make you whole and can, can fulfill all the desires of your heart. We were never meant to do that for each other. And if you want to find that in someone, if, or if you demand that out of someone, you will crush them or you will leave them. We must continue to find our all, our fulfillment, our satisfaction in Jesus Christ. He's our perfect bridegroom. He is our husband. He is our king. He's the only one who can make us whole. And if you've been married for a while, you know that one of the purposes of marriage, one of the things about marriage is that it sanctifies us. It helps knock uh, the, the edges off. This is part of God's plan in our marriages. Marriage is humbling and amazing and baffling and a blessing and it's a glorious mess many times and it's why we need Jesus as we walk through life together with our spouse. So first, we need life in Christ. Secondly, we need life together. Remember that we are God's children. 
We're part of the family of God. We're sisters and brothers in the fellowship of the body, and we need to learn how to live with each other and love each other with dignity and charity and purity and self-control. 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, This is the will of God for you. If anybody says, I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life, you can take them here. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. What kind? How? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress or wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things, as we told you beforehand. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. So as we live our lives together, we don't want to hurt our sisters and brothers by sexual sin, by sexual immorality. This is God's will for us, holiness, purity. And then life for others. When we're controlled by passions and lust, we see other people as a way to have our desires met, don't we? What can I get? How can I get it from them? Lust is about meeting my needs. And it can lead us to use other people. Obsess over them. But when we have our eyes set on Jesus, we can live for other people. We can, we can hook up arm and arm on mission. And we can move forward to love other people. We can look up. Instead of looking at other people and what they could give to me or how they could fulfill my desires, we can look up and see that the fields are white unto harvest. The laborers are few, but the need is, is, is great. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Christ-centered holiness and humility and purity and forgiveness and repentance are powerful parts of embracing and fulfilling God's good plan for us. Let's go. And as we close, I want you to remember that Jesus is the only one who can make us whole. He's the only one who can bring purpose, ultimate purpose and meaning in our lives. And we see a, a glimpse of that, especially related to the seventh commandment, when we think about the woman at the well in John 4. Remember, it says at the beginning of that passage, Jesus had to go through, he had to go through Samaria. Jews would go out of their way to go around Samaria. They, they disliked the Samaritans so much that they would, they would go out of their way to travel north. But it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And he met this woman at the well, and he lovingly talked to her about her life, and then he said, you've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband, right? And he said, I can give you living water. You'll never thirst again. And she believed the good news that Jesus gave her. She believed the gospel. And you remember what she did? She went into the town and she said, come and see a man who said everything, he's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? Move, Jesus moves towards sexual sinners. He moves toward us in our, our hurt and our brokenness. And he, he moves toward adulterers. 
That's good news. Do you know how the Bible describes the kickoff to eternity? Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to be to be clothed, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Dear ones, you're invited. Come and see Jesus Christ. Life eternal through Him. He washes away our sins. He gives us strength to move forward. Come and see. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. Lord God, we love You and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the the precious gift of marriage. And Lord, we pray that You would work in us to honor it and to uh, pursue holiness because of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. I pray that you would use your word in our hearts so that we can honor you from the inside out. pray in Jesus' name, amen.